morning, everybody. It's good to have you all back. After a couple of weeks of uh, camp meeting, for those of you who don't know, we have uh, what we call a camp meeting every year in June. Uh, it goes for two weeks, and so we typically have a, a very minimal service here, but most of us are gone. So how are you all doing? You have a good time at camp meeting? Spent a little time down there myself. Um, enthusiastic amens, I heard. It's been a while. Thank you for that. Hopefully I get a couple of those uh, later as we go through the message. But uh, yeah, I spent a little time down there myself on a couple Sabbaths. I haven't stayed typically um, during either of the weeks. But uh, so what's new? What do you know? What's going on out there? What's God been up to? Any ideas? Anything new? Anything good? Any praises? Absolutely. Amen. The one thing I'm thankful for is that we have a God that doesn't change. He doesn't, he doesn't waver on what he has said. We, we know, we can count on that he has loved us from the beginning and that he still does now and that he still will tomorrow. Amen. God has a lot of work out there, a lot of things for us to do, a lot of work for us to join in on. But the good thing is we don't have to worry about what he's up to. It's good to be aware of it, good to be a part of it. We don't have to worry so much. How about the other guy? Anyone know what the devil's been up to while we were gone? Maybe he was resting too, huh? taking a break. There's no one here to, to mess around with or to tempt. Maybe he was bored. Maybe it was miserable for him, huh? But what's he been up to? He what? He doubled his effort. Yeah, he was scheming while we were out. He's twice, twice as clever now. But, uh, you know, we're in a war, as we know, between God and, and Satan for our souls. And they say in war, I believe it's for war anyway, to keep your friends close and your enemies closer. Now, I'm not saying to get closer to the devil, but certainly we have to keep close tabs on him and what he's up to. When do you think he'll appear? Have you been waiting? You know, I think we're looking for that triggering event. What's that going to be? Is it going to be the collapse of the euro? California going to slide off the map? I haven't heard that in a long time, actually. I guess they're okay now. What's going to be that big thing that that, that tells you that something bad's going on and, and things are about to happen? When to look out? Maybe you picture sitting in front of the TV, watching the President of the United States talk about whatever they like to talk about, and suddenly he gets shoved out of the picture, and this dark image appears. You see only a silhouette. He says, this is it. I've become the prince of the world now. It's all over. Christianity is finished. All will be lost. And read about then is we're going to pack up all our stuff. We're going to get going. We're going to get moving. We're going to be attending church regularly, getting involved in all the functions in the bulletin. We're going to make sure we are spot on. I want you to know, I want to remind you that the enemy is at work everywhere. And his destructive work should not be underestimated. So what's he been up to? He's already appeared. He's all over the place. 
as you know or may not know or have been aware, the devil's been working for some time to not just pitch the word and get rid of it, but slowly dilute it. He would have you think that the Bible is too old. Same thing for the law. Is there a law? I think so. I don't know, it was written so long ago. You think it's any good? What do you do with it? Well, let's answer some of these questions. Let's start out with that. Is there a law? What do we like to call them? The ten suggestions. The ten pretty good ideas. I think you said the Ten Commandments. That's a good answer. I don't think there's much of a question that there's a law out there because there's debates all the time whether or not this law really exists, whether it applies, what we should do with it, who's judged by it and how, all those scary things. In fact, we started off with the scripture reading about repent. Surprised you haven't left already. I almost did. It's pretty harsh to start out that way. So there's obviously a law out there, and they are the Ten Commandments. That's pretty obvious. We see that in the Bible, and as I said, we've, we've pretty much come to terms that there at least has been a law. There probably is still a law. It's mentioned in Exodus 20. In Exodus 34, verse 28, he actually names them right out as the commandments. And he was there with the Lord 40 days and 40 nights. He did neither eat bread nor drink water. And he wrote upon the tablets the words of the covenant, the Ten Commandments. Let me ask you a question. Now, when I'm in the audience, I don't like raising my hand because I might be wrong. It's kind of embarrassing. The whole, sometimes it's on camera. You got your hand up there and you turned out you're wrong. I don't want to do that. It feels uncomfortable. But the question I'm going to ask you is really going to be depending on you, the answer. And so I ask. You can raise your hand if you want. You won't be embarrassed. So you'll find out the answer might surprise you. Are we under the law? How many of you think we're under the law? Okay. Well, let's find out. In Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verse 13, it tells us, Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. Well, it seems like we should be keeping it. Are we under it? What's the difference? Well, Paul says in Romans chapter 3, verse 19, Now we know that the things soever saith the law is saith to them who are under the law. Well, that helps. Whatever the law says, it's saying to those who are under the law. We haven't answered the question yet. Who's under the law? So what good is that if we don't know who he's speaking to? Who's the law good for? Who's it applied to and how? Well, he finishes by saying, It is saith to them who are under the law that every mouth may be stopped and all the world may become guilty before God. Notice how Paul equates being under the law with being guilty before God. In other words, those who are under the law are guilty of breaking it and are under the condemnation of it. This is why Christians are not under it. 
at least not under the penalty. They are not breaking it, and therefore they're not guilty and condemned by it. Oh, that's a relief. Therefore they are not under it, but are under the power of grace instead. Later in his argument, Paul points out that the power of grace is greater than the power of sin. Ah, amen. That's a demonstration in itself. Well, we'll get to that later. This is why he states so emphatically, For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under the law, but under grace. Grace overrules the authority of sin, giving power to obey God's law. So we know that we've correlated the fact that the guilty are under the penalty of the law. If we choose to step under God's umbrella, have a relationship with him, and remain on his side, then we are under his grace. Grace has power over sin. So Jeremiah 31, 34, so we talked about the guilty side of it. Let's hit the other side, Jeremiah 31, 34, where he says, And they shall teach no more every man his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me. From the least of them unto the greatest of them, saith the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. For who? Those that know him. Did you catch that? Still awake? Spent five minutes. I hope so. Matthew seven twenty one. Jesus said, "Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven." That kind of indicates that God knows the difference between someone who's just saying, who's just professing that they follow the law, but does he really know them? Do we know God? What is sin? Transgression of the law. You might get two answers to that. That's one of them. Someone give me another. I'm sorry. I missed that. Whosoever. Ah, who forever is not of faith is sinning also. Perhaps separation from God. Disagreement with God and resolving never to amend that with him. I think that's important because you have transgression of the law. And we'll learn later that we're not saved by works. We need both to do what we can to not transgress the law, but we know that's going to happen from time to time. We also need to know God. Separation from God will get you to the point of rejecting the law. So we establish we have a law. They're not suggestions. They're pretty good ideas. We've established who's under the law, or at least under the penalty of the law. Is the law still binding? The Bible says in Romans 6, 14 and 15, For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under the law, but under grace. Oh, we just throw the law back out the window again? Back and forth, back and forth. Are you confused yet? Then even Paul goes on to write, What then? 
Does that mean we should sin because we're not under the law but under grace? He says, God forbid. So are we free from obligation to obey the law? No. No more than when you're pulled over for speeding. The officer approaches your window. You're thinking you're finished. He says, I'll be right back. You wait for that painful 20 minutes it seems to take. Seems like two hours. He comes back and says, I've returned to give you your warning. Go and speed more and more. Go and speed no more? More and more? I got that mixed up. You were pardoned. You were under grace at that moment. You did not get a ticket. Certainly, it did give you, give you permission to continue speeding and doing what it took to get pulled over and be put back under the law. Does that make sense? The fact that you are under grace does not give you permission to continue breaking the law. So I would think it's fair to say that the law is still binding. Sure, we're under grace. The Lord understands and pardons us as needed. Still encourages us, though, to stick close to him so we may obey his commandments. But what are the commandments? Well, we talked about those ones in the Old Testament. And the reason why they call it the Old Testament is because that book is old. That's for the old times. It doesn't apply to today, does it? I want you to be careful, people, because this is rampant, not only in the secular world, but right inside the doors of our very own churches. They'll have you believe that that law was for back then, when things must have been easier. Things are so much more complex now. We're global. The map is flattened. So it invites in so many more problems, it's more difficult. We've been alive longer. We're more advanced. We need a new law, like one out of the New Testament. What are those new laws they're going to tell you about? What are they going to try and replace those commandments with? Is it true that the world was easier back then? Have you considered the flood? Do you remember why God sent the flood? Hmm? Why? Anybody? People's thoughts were evil continually? It's pretty bad. You could not contend with man any longer in that state. Things must have been pretty bad. However, some try to dispose of the Ten Commandments on the basis of the new commandments of love that Christ introduced in the New Testament. Where are they getting that from? When the lawyer asked Jesus in the New Testament, of course, which was the greatest commandment in the law, he received the answer. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like unto it. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. On these, oh, what does he say after that? On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. Matthew chapter 22, verse 37 to 40. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. Was Jesus throwing the law out the window? 
Did he get rid of it right then and there? Did he he say these are the two new commandments that replace the law? No, they are the foundation on which my law hangs on, has hung on, and will hang on tomorrow. You see Jesus all over the place quoting the Old Testament. Wouldn't you think then it's relevant? You'll notice Jesus didn't just talk for nothing. Even when he had conversations with people, it was never for nothing. It's to reach their heart, to make a statement. He quoted from the Old Testament for a reason. Isn't it incredible that he almost foresaw that it would come a day where we are now? Where we would think that in our new world we have a new law and the old is done away with. It's not so. In fact, he is quoting Deuteronomy 6.5 when he said, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart, and with all thy soul, and with all thy might. Leviticus 19.18 when he said, Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. So we established there is a law. We figured out who's under the law. We decided that the law is still binding. I think we figured out that it hasn't been replaced. So what do we do with it? Well, we get up each morning. We have a checklist that we keep on a little whiteboard. Those in the corporate world, we love our whiteboards. Use them over and over. And we use these over and over. We get up in the morning. We have the commandments on there in permanent marker. And we check them off each day as we've become sure of ourselves that we've obeyed them all. We'll just simply work our way to heaven by obeying these commandments and earn our ticket. Can we be saved by works? Can we be saved by doing that, doing the checklist? You sure? Come on. The first six days are the easiest. There's one whole commandment you, you can check off every single day. It's a Sabbath. Because it ain't there yet until the seventh day. Romans 3.23, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We could end right there with that statement and understand that there's nothing we can do ourselves, isn't that right, to be saved. In fact, sometimes I like putting my name in there. For Gary Wyland has sinned, and he falls short of the glory of God. It's a good exercise, you should do it. But it goes on to explain, if you wanted a little more proof. Three texts, Ephesians, Ephesians 2, verse 8 and 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not as a result of works, that no one should boast. Romans 3, 20 and 28. Because by the works of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight. For through the law comes the knowledge of sin. For we maintain that a man is justified by faith apart from works of the law. You see, if you could save yourself, you could do it by works. If you could justify yourself by doing your checklist each and every day, you wouldn't need God. Wouldn't the devil love to have you believe that? You don't need God anymore. What would you need him for? If you can save yourself. 
The devil would love that. How great would it be for you to live each day knowing that you don't need God anymore? How about relativism? Yeah, truth is relative. Rules are relative. The relative to what I feel is right. What's right for you might not be right for me. See, I like different things. I like different foods. I like different cars. I like different rules because I feel comfortable with the rules that I've set for myself. I don't feel so guilty as I think about them. And I feel then that I'm doing a pretty good job each day. I'm a pretty good person because I follow all those things. And at the end of the day, I feel good. That's a whole nother sermon, people. People will have you convinced in the future, if they haven't already, that your spiritualism is going to be based on feel. Again, it's a whole nother sermon. But I'll dare step a couple tiptoes down that path and tell you that that will translate eventually into people believing that God is in themselves. They are their own God by doing and choosing what feels right for them. You know, you can't control or judge me. I know it's right for me. I've been with myself almost all of my life. I know me better than you do. In a small way, they're right, because we don't know. We can't judge those things on other people. Aren't you glad that I'm not your judge? Amen? I'm glad you're not my judge. You know, Pastor Stauffer's always up here saying, I'm glad people don't treat me how I deserve. I debated doing a sermon on the word deserve. You can make a sermon out of that. I hate that word deserve. Name, name how many times the word deserved is used in a positive light. Think about it. Why well, I worked hard all day. I deserve to do this. I deserve to skip that. Oh, is that what happened to them? Good. They deserve it. They had it coming. Deserve. Who deserves anything? What do you deserve? Who gave you that entitlement? What is it that you did that you deserve what you think you deserve? That comes from our root of selfishness, doesn't it? The devil's good old trick. How do you fall in the first place? What about me? Those three characters meeting behind closed doors, creating galaxies, expanding the universe, doing all these great things. When I speak, the angel listen. When I want to conduct music for the mighty God of our universe, I raise my hand and all the angels of heaven are there. I'm the director. Why aren't I in there with them? What about me? Look at the power I have, the control I command. I think it's about time. When do I get mine? I deserve it, after all. Anyway, so I just preached that sermon. I don't have to do that now. It's your sermon on deserve. But uh, finishing up with works, Galatians 2.16, Nevertheless, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but through faith in Christ Jesus. Even we have believed in Jesus Christ, that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law. Since by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. Which was why I said earlier that you know, we said, what is sin? We said transgression of the law. Okay, so if we just start obeying the law, 
then we are pure, we're perfect, and we're saved. And I would argue that you also need a relationship with God. I also need a relationship with God. Hence, the separation from God, I believe, being a major component of sin, in addition to transgression of the law. You think about it, would it be fair? You guys know how rotten of a person I am. I continue to be that way. But I know the truth. I know that Jesus is coming. I know there's a little bit of time left until then. And on the last day, he's in the clouds. I walk up and I tap you on the shoulder. I said, guess what? Today, I believe in the law and the commandments. I believe in God. I see him right there. And because I have done so, I'll be standing right next to you. Right outside the front door of your mansion in heaven. I blow my little party whistle. It's over. I've won. I got away with not having to do a thing or spend a moment with God my whole entire life. And now I'm in. Have a good eternity. Wouldn't that rub you the wrong way? But that would be possible if we could be saved by works. It would be possible if we didn't need a relationship with God. At the last minute, I could just say, I could just profess the law. I could just say, Lord, Lord. But that is not the case. Works won't do it. So what about this law? Is there a penalty? So we established there is one. It seems pretty important. It even applies today. It wasn't replaced by a new law. So what about it? I think it's very clear. You don't have to spend a lot of time on this. It says clearly in Romans chapter 6, verse 23, the wages of sin is death. That's why Jesus died on the cross. He knew straight away that was the penalty to be paid. He had to pay it. So he had to die. It was essential. That was the price set forth, and he wasn't kidding. I like to put my name into that one, too. The wages of Gary Weiland's sin is death. So we have a law, hasn't been replaced, still there today. The penalty for it is death. But the penalty was paid. Here's where some of the beauty comes in. Who is it paid for? Who does God love? Everyone? You sure? I like that. Good commanding yes. You didn't have to wait for an answer from me. You didn't have to tell me, wait for me to tell you I was correct. God loves us all. The devil will try and force and tempt you into things. He wants to force you into spiritual bankruptcy, financial bankruptcy. He wants to kill you. He wants you dead. Because you're no good when you're dead. You're no good when you're unhealthy. That's where he wants you. But the God is, that we serve is not like that. He does not apply force. I had a sermon some time ago about the unpardonable sin. You remember what that was? One thing God cannot do. Do you ever think there's a, such a thing that God couldn't do? 
He can't save you if you don't want to be. Can't do it. You won't. Which is why those who are under the law are those who reject him, those who are found guilty under the law. You want to choose to follow him? You want to be in his camp? You're good. You've got his insurance policy if you want it. It doesn't mean you can go and do what you want because if you went and started doing what you wanted thinking, oh, hey, I'm saved, well, your attitude changed now, didn't it? You now left. You now canceled that insurance policy. You've gone out on your own. It's no longer valid. You see why the relationship is required? The penalty for it is death, but only if that's what you want to do. That's the good news, people. So what's the law for? So we've got this thing. Why is it there? Why do we need it? You might say it's for our safety and protection. Of course it is. That's a great answer. God knows what it needs, what it takes for us to be healthy, for us to be happy, for us to dwell well with one another and with him. He wants to spend the rest of eternity with you. He wants to get you ready for that. So what's the law for? We've likened it in the past, haven't we, to being a mirror. Is there any saving power in the law? Can the law save you? It's like when you had your speeding ticket. You got your ticket. You got a bunch more. You went to a whole bunch of other reckless things. You ended up in jail. Can the law save you from jail? Can it pull you out? Can it tell you where you stand? Give me an idea. It's like a mirror. I was going to do this demonstration. I decided not to because uh, it wouldn't have been original. But some of you have seen a sermon by Doug Batchelor. He, uh, he does a sermon on the law himself. And he comes out. He says, good morning, ladies and gentlemen, brothers and sisters, whatever it was he said. And they show the congregation. They're laughing. They put the camera back on Doug Batchelor. He's got this splotch of, splotch of grease on his face. Everyone's kind of chuckling. He's like, what's funny? I have grease on my face, you tell me. Well, I got something for you. I get up in the morning and I clean up really well. He goes on to say how he grooms himself. He knows that he's clean. Why is it so difficult for me to see this grease on my face and you can see it so easily? Listen, my eyeballs face forward. I only see the beauty in what I do. My work's in the morning of getting myself all cleaned up and ready to come here. You're not convinced, are you? well, how am I going to find out if I really have this grease on my face? And he went on, and someone suggested a mirror. He's like, oh, a mirror. Well, does anyone happen to have a mirror? And of course, someone comes up and he's like, oh, look at how convenient that is. Somebody has a mirror to show me my, my defects. And uh, he looks at the mirror and he says, you know, I was feeling pretty good today. When I walked into this place, you know, I was number one in my book. Until I saw this mirror. Things started to go downhill. I don't feel so good anymore. I need to get rid of the mirror. Problem solved. The mirror was my problem. I didn't have a problem until the mirror showed up. It's uncomfortable, the law, isn't it? But that's its purpose, to show us where we're at. But there's no cleansing power in the mirror. He continued to demonstrate. He picked the mirror back up. 
said, so, well, certainly if this mirror was able to show me all that's wrong with me, it certainly has the power to fix it. The grease was still there. The mirror didn't take it off. Later on, once he learned to embrace the mirror's purpose, swallow our pride, soften the heart, we wanted to be clean again. We don't want to be laughed at or judged. We don't want to feel that we were going to be lost. We became scared. What then am I to do? I've got to clean this grease off. I want to clean up. I want to get things right. I love God. I thank him for showing me where I'm at. What do I do? You have to embrace the mirror. Why? You've got to see where that is. Especially now you've smeared it all over the place trying to get, a, get away with it, trying to do something quick and cheap and dirty. Now you need that mirror. Where do I stand? Where's it at? Still missing something to clean it off with. about the blood of Christ? That ever-pure washcloth. Romans 3.20, Therefore by the deeds of the law there shall be no flesh be justified in his sight. For by the law is the knowledge of sin. Again, we talked about the mirror. The law helps us to know where we're at, helps us to know what sin is. If you're going to be in the character of God, what's the guideline? How would you be as a person? Ah, the law gives me an idea of that. 1 John 3, 4. Sin is the transgression of the law. Hey, you guys are good. You said that before. Sin is the transgression of the law. I had not known sin, but by the law. For I had not known lust, except that the law said, Thou shalt not covet. Do you understand that the Lord hasn't used the law to condemn us? It's okay to feel condemned. That's the purpose of it. To feel like perhaps you've gone too far. To admit that perhaps we've got work to do. To admit perhaps that we have a relationship to start. In fact, it says, you all know John chapter 3, 16. How many of you go on to 17 and 18? In the verses after. John 3.16 For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whoever believeth in him should not perish. Remember, you're under that insurance policy. You're under his grace if you want to believe in him. Should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Of course, it goes on. Whoever believes him, this answers again our question from before. Whoever believes him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because he has not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. So is it clear? Do you believe there's a law? Do you believe how it operates with respect to you from day to day? Friends, we talked about the law as a mirror. 
I invite you today to look into that holy law right now. Look into that mirror for a divine revelation of what God wants for you in your life and what he wants your life to be. We need to confess that we have no strength to live up to that perfect standard. So we must turn our eyes to the Holy One who has kept that law perfectly and who desires this very moment to enter, your, to enter into your life with that enabling power. He will fulfill the righteousness of the law, the just requirements of that law in you so that you can say with Paul in Galatians 2.20, Christ liveth in me and the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and who gave himself for me. Heavenly Father, I ask today that you continue to let the Holy Spirit speak within us. Allow us, that, allow us to feel that little bit of discomfort, that still small voice that shows us where we stand. But Father, let us not remain in discomfort. May we embrace the mirror. May we embrace the law in a loving relationship with you. And we may embrace the mirror so we can see what it is we're at, what it is we need to clean, and how we can be better witnesses for you. Lord, let us not stand any longer in contempt. Let us not fight it. We thank you so much, Lord, for your powerful promise that if we just accept you as our Savior, that we choose to profess and to live that your law is good, it is just and right and beautiful. We thank you for your promise to keep us forever and eternity with you if we make that choice. Father, let us be an encouragement to others. Let us support one another as we seek a closer walk with you. As we pick one another up, when we stumble, that we do not condemn one another for the law is there to do that itself, but to be helpful, to be inspiring to one another and remind us all of your message that says you can do this. With my help, we can do this. Lord, we ask for a special blessing on the rest of the Sabbath day. I personally thank you for all those that were here today. We ask that you be with those traveling, those who are not here because they may be sick or for whatever reason. Father, we thank you for the friends and family that we have come to know that you have given us for all different reasons. We thank you, Lord, for your Sabbath, for this great rest, this time to reflect upon your character and how we can be more like you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.